Good morning, everyone. Part two. Yes, are you blessed? I'm blessed. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. She said part one's brilliant. I'll just uh, put it out there, so thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Harry. Uh, I'm uh, married. I've been married for nearly nine years now. I know, isn't that mad? Isn't that mad? Nine years. (laughs) I've got three uh, wonderful, wonderful children. Isaac, who is four years old. Olive, who is three. Uh, No, sorry, I'm getting confused. You can see what the night was like. Uh, Phoebe, who is three, and Olive, who is nearly two years old. Um, she is wearing a Wonder Woman costume today and uh, is going around appropriately bashing things, as you might expect. Uh, I'm uh, one of the leaders here in the church. I, uh, in particular, look after the students. Um, it is the best job in the world, I keep on telling people, because I just get to lead people and tell people all about how great Jesus is. Um, and one of the other things that I really love to do is I love to be in the scriptures um, and to uh, share with people in any format. So I'm very grateful for the elders here allowing me two weeks to share with you. Um, if you are new here or you've not been here for a little while, uh, we've been uh, doing a, spirit, uh, a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, one of the reasons behind this is because we love to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, I can't understand Christians that want to live life without the Holy Spirit. I don't get it. I don't understand how they can live the life of Jesus devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. It just baffles me, completely and utterly baffles me. Uh, And one of the things that we love, and we saw this happen today uh, uh, in a few ways. We saw somebody come and brought a a word of prophecy. We saw somebody come and bring a word of knowledge. And I believe that we're going to see some healing as well through what David was praying down here. We love to see people moving in the, amen, amen, Mandy. We love to see people moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is so good, he comes and he gives us gifts to live this Jesus life in the best possible way. But one of the things that we really wanted to do and to achieve with this series on the Holy Spirit is not talk about the, the dynamic power or the gift of the Holy Spirit. We just really wanted to home in on the person of the Holy Spirit. And in particular, we wanted to home in on the fact that he is the Holy Spirit. And so you've, you've heard over the, the weeks, and if you've not, you can catch up on, uh, on YouTube. We had uh, David Rayner sharing about how, how God calls us to live a holy life. We had Malcolm Bissett sharing about how Jesus comes to break off the chains of sin. Um, we've had John who's come and shared, and I'm actually going to share and unpack on one of the stories that he shared from as well. We had Jeff, who brilliantly talked... uh, It was fantastic. You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. (laughs) Who brilliantly talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus a few weeks ago as this sacred, awe-inspiring moment that we are invited to come and partake in. So that's where we're up to. And last week, I shared on how we are temples of the Holy Spirit and how particularly... Um, we, uh, that, that image and reality of the tabernacle and the temple should be baked into our lives as followers of Jesus. Why? Because we are the dwelling place for God. Um, <clears throat> it was no small thing. This is an incredible act of God's chesed love. That's his loyal love, his, his covenant extravagance to us. 
But it, it means that as we enter into that relationship, that there's an elevation in our sense of responsibility as we live together with God, because he is inside each and every one of us. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what it's like for you guys. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I imagine it's a bit of a cultural phenomenon. You know, like queuing in, uh, in Britain. You don't betray the queue. You don't violate the queue. When we were in the Philippines, there, there is no such thing as queuing in the Philippines. It just doesn't happen. Um, I'm looking for Maureen for confirmation she might be. Oh, there. No queuing in the Philippines, is there? No, you've just got to be aggressive. Well, I, I'm wondering if this is, is a little bit like that. Um, we have three kids, um, very young, as I've already shared, and you can imagine what kind of state our house gets into. You can just imagine. Uh, John always uh, likes to go to my kids and, and invite them and encourage them to create as much mess and carnage as possible. I will get you back for that, John. Have no fear. <laughs> um, but when you, uh, when you organize things and put things in the calendar for people to come around, um, and as the days start to, to edge closer and closer, and you think, I really need to start tidying up some of this mess here, um, <laughs> and it gets closer and closer, and suddenly you enter into like a dictator mode where things must be done and must be done immediately. And suddenly there's such energy and busyness about the house as you start to clear and all of that kind of stuff. But, but that's okay when you've got the time to be able to do it. You can mentally prepare for it. The worst is the unannounced visitor, right? Uh, there should be a rule that there should be at least a half an hour text or something like that. You get five minutes, I'm on my way, I'll see you in five minutes. And suddenly you hear the stuff, hide, conceal, cover, wherever you can. <laughs> Blankets get thrown over the mess, pick up the laundry and chuck them into the bedroom. All the doors are shut. If you see the doors are shut, you know exactly what life is like behind those doors. Is it just me? And then you try and get the kids involved to try and help clean up, and it, it, just, it just doesn't work. Bonnie was telling me how Olive saw a spill on the floor. So she goes across, she toddles across like this, and she picks up a tea towel, and she goes back, and she starts cleaning. She's not really cleaning. She's just spreading the water further as she does it. And then after a while, she gets bored. She picks up the tea towel, bless her, and she goes over, and she puts the tea towel in the bin. Not helpful, Olive. Not helpful. Or Phoebe, bless her. Um, she's seen mummy and daddy help with the nappies, and she's desperate to help with the nappies. So, okay, Phoebe, it's no problem. Just, just let, you can come and help us. That's no problem at all. And so what happens? I walk into the room, and there she is. Olive's trousers are off, and Phoebe is bent over, trying to... No! <laughs> you just don't want that poo in the floor. Bless them. But how can it be that we care more what our neighbor thinks of our house than what the Lord thinks of the temple of the Holy Spirit? And I'm constantly challenged by that. I've called this talk this morning, God comes where he's wanted. And it's the secret to every revival, every awakening that's happened. God has come and presented himself to a people that are eagerly desiring and passionate for him. But it's not people that are just wanting his presence, people that are just wanting his power, but people that are willing to submit to his lordship. God comes where he is truly, truly wanted. 
See, the God of the Bible, he's not a simple God. He's not a common God. He's not one among many gods. He's not some genie in a lamp who shows up when we just give it an extra hard rub for our particular moment when we want him to appear. Our God is the Lord of all heaven and earth. We've been singing about it this morning. His glory, his majesty, his value, nobody can fathom in any way, shape, or form. His glory is so great that all of heaven and earth cannot contain him. Not only is he glorious, but he is holy, distinctly other, perfect in every way. How on earth can we stand in the presence of of a perfect God, and live. And of course we know this is all to do with Jesus. But the prophet Isaiah, he has this exact same question. He has this fear in his heart where he has this vision. It's in Isaiah 6 of the heavenly court and the angels. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's response isn't, yes, I want a piece of that. Let's get in there. Let's join in with a chorus of angels. His response is this. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of angelic armies. Isaiah, he recognizes something that we often forget. I have found this in my life, that our God is so pure, so clean, so holy, so perfect, so weighty, so beautiful, that when we as broken, sinful, unclean, imperfect, fragile creatures enter into his presence, we cannot bear the weight of being in his perfect presence without being undone. There's a story of the Welsh revival, and I can't remember off the top of my head the name of the, the man who led and orchestrated it. Um, <clears throat> but he, he was there, present for, for what took place there in a, in a move that not only touched Wales, but went and touched the globe. In fact, we are part of a product of that. With uh, Kerry Jones, who is our apostle, there, uh, apostle over us here, um, coming out of that line of Welsh revival. But instead of the, the man who led that time, that the presence of God was so overwhelming and so manifest in those meetings that when the Welsh revival kind of stopped and subsided, he was only physically able to make one public appearance after that. Such was he undone by the presence of God. It's a serious thing. And it's, it's why revivals and awakenings start with this acknowledgement of sin we, we love to see miracles and signs and wonders happen. Um, there can be quite a bit of buzz when stuff, exciting things start to happen. But it's this conviction, this utter conviction that I'm broken and I need God in order to live life in all of its fullness. The uh, Asbury Revival, now, I don't know if everyone's heard of it, but in, in, in America, in a, in a Christian university, um, a, a revival broke out. Um, and I, I watched the, the preach that started it all. It was great, but it wasn't something special. I've sat in better preaches than what took place there. But what happened at the end of that, um, at the end of that preach is this woman came down, and she was just a, a bit of a mess. She had family issues, and she, he, she ended up 
offending half of the campus, causing serious issues and broken relationships. And she just came to the front of that meeting. And in front of all of the people that were there, she just said, if I have offended anybody in this room, I just want you to know I'm so sorry. Please, can you help me? And in that moment, forgiveness came and the people came forward and they stood with her and they prayed with her and it was the portal that opened the presence of God to come into that meeting. And what took place there was the first revival to touch Generation Z, people that are 26 and younger. It was the first time where something exclusively happened for a significant group of that people to energize, to envision, and to see them go and touch the world for Jesus. Why? Because somebody understood about the presence of God and the holiness of God. So, we're going to read a a story that um, we don't often hear in church. Uh, It's uh, a story um, in 1 Chronicles 13. You can also read about it in 2 Samuel as well. Just as you look for the scripture there, um, this, this story is talking about the breaking down of, uh, of altars. And uh, we're just going to go through these different altars and see what we can do in our lives to see them repaired and restored. <clears throat> so I'm reading from 1 Chronicles 13. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And he then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, And if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasturelands, to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. But we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah, that is Kiriath Jerem, to bring up from there the ark, of the, God, uh, the ark of God the Lord, who was enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites, they were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, with lyres, timbrels, cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. And, oh, part of my thing's gone missing. And the ark of God. Uh, and David took the uh, ark of God and took it to the house of Obed-Edom. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So what we see here is a systemic breakdown of altars. The first one we see is the breakdown of the altar of the region. Uh, Altars are really, really important. Um, because this is a place where there is an exchange between God and the people. And what we see is that there is no altar between the community of people here and that of the Lord. 
I'll explain now. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant has been out of action for 20 years. Now, if we rewind to last week, the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant, it was the footstool of God's throne that was placed in the most holy of places in the tabernacle. And only once a year could the priest come in for the atonement of all the sins of the people of Israel. And that's where the presence of God was. Now, 20 years previously, there was a guy called Eli who was high priest, and he wasn't a particularly good high priest. And his two sons thought it would be a great thing to do, to take the Ark of the Covenant as a bit of a lucky charm and take it out into war with the Philistines. It actually served against them because the Philistines saw it, they were terrified, and they thought, okay, let's try extra hard to make sure that we beat these guys. And lo and behold, what happened? They beat them. And they stole the Ark of the Covenant. They claimed it as their own. And they went and they took the Ark of the Covenant back into their territory and they set it up in a temple to one of their gods. And so David comes and he says, let's come and bring the ark back to us. Um, and so what they do is they go and they put the ark on a cart. Now, if David had been a Bible reader, he would have known that that is not what he did. But what he did was he did exactly the same thing as the first time. He takes the ark, he puts it on the cart, and then he tries to carry it towards Jerusalem. And one of the reasons, there's several reasons actually, um, why you shouldn't do it like that. Um, what the Ark of the Covenant had is little holes in the sides, so that you can put these long poles And as you put the long poles through, you can put a goat skin on top of it, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and there's this animal skin barrier that's taking place between whoever's carrying it, the Levites, and the Ark, to make sure that there's no opportunity for you to touch it in any shape form. And then you carry it like a litter. And the reason why you do that is because if one of you falls, very unlikely 
that all three of you have important these struggles with better protected. Um, there's no chance of you accidentally touching the Ark of the Covenant. But more importantly, this is the way that kings were carried. So God said, you need to treat me like a king. And David and the community of people are not treating God like a king. This is not good news. A breakdown uh, of the order of the region. And the last thing that doesn't take place as they shift the back. And we see, you know, as the speaker mentioned, of all the different worshipping. <coughs> David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their lights before God with songs and with harps, with lyres and timbrels and cymbals and trumpets. They've got the lights on, the dry house is going, the atmosphere is fantastic. It's bopping. Everyone's dancing, having a fantastic time. There's no sacrifices. There's no sacrifices. Sacrifices are not needed for Yahweh to survive. Sacrifices are there for Yahweh the Israelites to say. The whole point is that to say. And so, this community of people that was supposed to be the image and representation of God, to be a distinct kingdom that shares his values and his mission into the world, looks exactly like the pagans. Looking exactly like so we can break that. The altar of the region. Next, you, you see the altar of the family breaking down. You see, Uzzah, he's not trained, uh, trained generationally. Uzzah is the son of Abinadab. And Abinadab um, received the ark of the covenant of because. Back in another town of Israel, 70 people opened the Ark of the Covenant and it. And so they terrified, buried the Ark of the Covenant into a bit of that house and he locks it up. Nobody can go near it, nobody can touch it. And yet, for some reason, Uzzah thinks it's a neighbor of And so a bit of that hasn't come and shared this knowledge, shared this wisdom. Hey, Uzzah, this is what happened last time. Make sure you're really careful when you do it. At least say something like that. He doesn't understand the holiness of God. And what does it come to this is the ark as the, the, the oxen stumbles and the, the ark begins to fall as he makes this mistake. And he puts his hand on the ark. And I've read this story quite a few times, and every time I thought, come on, God, why did you kill him? It seems a bit unreasonable. He's just trying to protect your own. What is going on here? But you see, what Uzzah did is he thought that his hand was cleaner than the floor. It's, it's really easy to wipe off some dirt. It is not easy to wipe off some sin. Don't forget, there's been no sacrifices, no offerings, nothing like that at all. And Uzzah comes with impure hands and lays them. In Psalm 24, um, you see the psalmist writes, Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? And we go, The one who's most passionate. The one who wants it most. 
Leave it. Leave it. And it all started because two old ladies wanted to see the Bible get closed. And they went to their local pastor and they said, Hey, we're going to commit to pray four hours on this particular night of the week. And if you do the same, we're going to see the Bible get closed. And so the pastor and they agreed and they became them and they were praying. And there was one meeting where um, the pastor gathered his deacons together. And a deacon uh, stood up and uh, he read these words. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Oh, thank you. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? He with clean hands and pure heart. And this is how Duncan Campbell um, relates the story. Duncan Campbell was the minister who he looked at for Thoreau. The close of his Bible, this deacon addressed the minister and the other office bearers in words that sound crude in English but not so crude in the native language. He said, It seems to me so much humbug to be waiting as we are waiting, to be praying as we are praying, when we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then he lifted his hands toward heaven and prayed, Oh God, are my hands clean? Is my, hand, is my heart pure? Then he went to his knees. A loud cry and fell into a trance. Duncan Campbell said, Don't ask me to explain the physical manifestations of this movement because I thought this and I do know that something happened in the barn at that moment in that young people, and there was a power loose that shook the heavens, and awareness of God gripped those gathered together. Understanding of the holiness of God launched a revival. Who can send the hands of the Lord? He with clean hands and a pure heart. So we see the breakdown of the region, we see the breakdown of the family, and lastly, we see the breakdown of the heart. And this is in David's personal response to God. He can't know what David's really doing here, because he's, he's manipulating God a bit. David's on the ascendancy here, he's establishing himself as the main political power in Israel, and he wants to establish his capital. In, in these times, it's really important to have this, the, the seat of your, your political power and also the seat of your spiritual power. And so he goes and he takes it, he's taken this land from the genocide, and he's got Jerusalem, he's got that, so he can go and he goes, right, now let's bring God in, in the tabernacle, and we'll set him up there, and then my power will be established. And so he does everything that he can, he puts the ark Heart, he starts weaving it in, and David's at the head of this parade of worship, looking all very glorious. 
and then closer, he stretches out his hand and dives the resort there. And we, we read that David was angry because the Lord had broken out against God. God, why have you done this? I'm just doing this for you to establish your power, to establish your throne in Jerusalem, in your kingdom. Why have you done this? Thought he wanted God. And when God shows up, he gets angry because God has something he wants to say in David's life. Because look, okay, don't talk to me about that. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I when I was in school. Um, I don't know if this was replicated for, for many of you that are here, but when I was in school, that form was just an epidemic. Everyone had it. I was in an all-boys school, that phones were just coming to the floor, and uh, you could get everything on your phone. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, and then sharing it around. And I'm ashamed to say that I, I fell into a trap. And I remember um, that there was one other Christian in the school. And uh, I remember he came up to me and said, Have you been talking to me about God? I said, Yeah, no problem. I had no idea what he was going to do. We went for a walk around uh, the grounds there, afterwards we were the school buildings and everything. And he was just saying, I, I just think it's wrong, but I have all these temptations. And I know you're a Christian, and obviously you must be struggling with these temptations. And I said, there's no problem with it. And I made a bunch of arguments, a bunch of things that were just, <coughs> I had no right to be saying. I, I don't know what happened, but I just prayed. But it didn't mean it. Go on with that. You see, in my heart, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And God was coming to me through this other Christian. To tell me what I was doing was up to do wrong. I didn't want to hear it. I'm ashamed to say that. And things about sin, when they come and they consume and take your life, that's exactly what they do. They take your life. In the book of Romans, it says, you can either be a slave to a sin or a slave to Christ. There's no, there's no other option. I don't think there's one. I was captive to that for years. I grew up at that time. I didn't want to be anything else. It wasn't until my good wife took me on. And God started to speak to me. Uh, speak to me. Through her, the incredible forgiveness that she showed me. I was then completely able to see the difference. But for David, it took three months for him into a place of repentance. For me, it took years. Whatever it is, there is anything in your life. Deal with God. Don't let it take over your life. 
relentless you've been taken over by guilt and shame and all of the things that come with that. Don't do it. And we're going to go to this guy over here. Over here, over here, over here. Um, and probably a guy that most people have never heard of before, that's why. But what we see over here is he just comes and totally reverses what's taking place in this nation. Uh, Open Eden receives the Ark of the Covenant into his house. And that's the incredible thing. The Ark of the Covenant is in his house. And I don't know why David gave it to Obed Eden. Obed Eden means a slave of the Edomites. He came from a place called Gath, which was a contested territory between the Philistines and the Israelites. What it basically means is that he was a nobody from nowhere. A nobody from nowhere as well. And so David, in his might, in his power, bobs off the Ark of the Covenant, but there's nobody from nowhere. Let him deal with it. He can suffer the consequences. And it's just the Ark of the Covenant in his hands. And what we read from the story of Obed-Edom is that God just comes and bless him. And so, he must have thought, I've got the Ark of the Covenant. Where's my Torah? So he goes and gets his Torah, he goes and grabs his Bible, and he just devours it. That says, well, obviously this place isn't a tabernacle, but I'm going to do everything that I can to steward the holiness of God in the best possible way. And for me, and my own, and my family, I'm going to ensure that we live lives that are worthy of God. And blessing comes. I wonder, come the end of time, or not the end of time, there's eternity, come the restoration of all things. I'm going to seek into the kingdom heavens for a conversation. I've got to know what he's going to say. I'm going to be, what was it like having the ark of the covenant in your house? He said, Harry, why are you asking? You haven't said that. But for some reason, uh, David hears that there's been this blessing on Obed Edom. Uh, and it must have been a significant blessing to turn the head of the king. So David comes and uh, he must have had some kind of uh, conversation with him. And he must have been. Because what we believe is that David then decides he's going to, he's going to try again. And uh, David hears, he sets his heart right, he repents. And uh, what we read in, uh, in uh, 1 Chronicles 15 is that uh, David follows the covenant He goes to the Levites. A bit funny because he says, it's kind of your fault that you didn't do this properly. Come on now. Let me mistakes for you. But the Levites come. And they do everything properly, they put the poles in, they put the, the cover over the ark, and they lift it, and they just get ready to lift the ark properly. <laughs> and what it says is that, um, that they lift it, and it was a great celebration because nobody died when they lifted the ark. And David said, Stop! Let's put some sacrifices and do some sacrifices. And so then they, they bring the ark into Jerusalem, and there's great worship, and it's all going properly. Um, but what we read in 1 Chronicles 16 is um, a further bit about Obed Edom. 
because he's not a high priest, he's not um, from uh, a Levitical family or anything like that. But he, he wants to do everything that he can do to be in the presence of God. And so what we read is that he volunteers uh, to be a worshipper and a gatekeeper. So Obed Eden, he has, he has three months where the Ark of the is in his house. He's like, this is so good. I, I just want to be as close to God as I can all the time. That's all I want to do. And so he commits the rest of his life to helping to lead the nation in worship. He guards as a gatekeeper from the presence of God. If you turn your Bibles to Psalm 84, This is a um, a psalm. I wonder if this psalm has been written again in reflection on the name of the year. A psalm is in reflection of this story. You go to verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a gatekeeper across my bed than dwell in the tents. Nobody just wants to get as close as they can. 1 Chronicles 26 David comes and he's establishing the divisions of worship for the gatekeepers for the temple. And, and this is for the temple that Solomon's going to go. And in it, we read that all 62 of Obed Eden's descendants were assigned as gatekeepers. 62. So we see this rebuilding of the altars. Obed Eden, his heart is good. And he is intent on making sure that his family understand the significance of what it means to follow Jesus with all your heart, with clean hands, and with purity. The desire to worship the Holy God is spread into his home. So as kids, they learn to live in the presence of God for three months, and then they become the doorkeepers of the presence. And then that goes and spreads into the Levites, into his relatives, into the religious community. Because now the Levites, they take back their role as those who worship God. And then it spreads into his nation, who under the leadership of David, set up 24-7 worship. And they restart God's presence. From the heart of the home to the religious community and into the nation. And we see revival in David's time. And in the next generation, we see God's presence. Revival came because one man took seriously the holiness and the glory of God. Sweet. And we have hundreds of people every morning. So imagine what God could do with a group of people here who take seriously the holiness and the glory of We need to acknowledge who it is that we're inviting in. We've got to accept his terms of access. Jesus comes and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way apart from me. 
It's all about Jesus. So as we want to enter into life and life with the Lord in its fullness, we don't just come and we welcome Jesus into our life, but we submit everything in the Lordship of Jesus. It's not Jesus coming into my path and helping me on my path, it's us turning and stepping into Jesus' path. Thank goodness the animal skins and uh, the animal sacrifices are no longer needed. Otherwise, our worship service today would have looked very different indeed. Although I can point out day in the picture. But we have a, a confidence for what Jesus has done. Because we receive Jesus' blood. It's a perfect sacrifice in our heart. This unbelievable power of his blood, it's, it's indestructible, it's perfect, it's sinless life, which is offered in the heart of us, and it makes us righteous in God's sight and allows us to be seen through the blood of Jesus. So that we can see God and live. Radical thought here is that God's, God's not that us have some kind of moral obligation, have some kind of guilt trip, but it's the astonishing fact that He loves you. He loves you and is totally willing to lay aside His glory out of love so that we might have life with Him. It's the story of the cross. Freeze that desire in his presence. We don't want God just to come in to meet our own ends, but we desire his presence and that everything becomes his path. That God comes when he's wanted because he's actually wanted. Not all the stuff that God can bring, not all the stuff that God can bring, not all the, the healing, the blessing, all that stuff is fantastic. And it's not bad to want those things. But I know for me, often I just wanted those things that I've not been there by God. God just wants us to want Him to be with Him. Because He's God. Believe in Him. And then we choose to, to live on His terms. And we talk about this obedience. We've sort of advertised today, step of obedience. Radical step of obedience. Baptism is not just some kind of symbolic thing. Hey, look, we have God with us in the house of Jesus says, repent, be baptized. What's he saying? Die! Die! But Jesus, die! That's not brutal. Then, resurrection life. Resurrection life. And all its just want to give time for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Just feel that you should offer up these altars to God. See the prepared, the unprepared things that take place. Bring whatever offerings and sacrifices we need to do. The first we'll just deal with the altar of the heart. We'll just give space for the Holy Spirit to bring anything forward that needs to be brought forward. I know we've been to this last week, but 
space that I just did here again. The very thing which is where God said to me, may we test the very essence of things. Whether there's this obvious sin, or there's something else pride, superiority. The ways in which we we deal with anxiety. Pray for the Lord for yourself. See our families built stronger or restored 
and brought into relationship with you. For the altar of the region, I'm just going to run the worship team, if that's okay. I remember being in a, a Bible week meeting with the late and great Tony May. Tony is Tony's a hero and one of the best teachers and preachers and that I ever had the privilege to see. And that wasn't the best thing about him. The best thing about Tony was that he just adored Jesus. And you could just see that with the interactions with him and the way that he brought people into love. I remember the Bible week he was he was riddled with cancer, he was really, really ill. Um, and uh, he was sharing, but at the end, he was talking about the, the voice of the Lord and how the, the voice of the Lord is now the church. It's like the single prophets that come and rise up in, and bring children to bring exhortation. But it's the church that stands, raises above the parapet, and speaks the words of God into the community. And he was so frail during that speech that he, he, he had to sit down throughout it all. And I remember that he started um, quoting from his song with Lady's Rock. Great, you never watched it, you never watched it. But in it is so much that points to Jesus. So much that points to Jesus. And Tony said that uh, aside from the Bible, it's the greatest thing that points people to Jesus was their voice. I remember him saying, he said, there's this song that's sung at the end. The who will be strong will stand with me. Somewhere beyond the barricades, there are a world we long to see. Do you hear the people sing? Do you hear the distant drums? It is the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. And I remember. <coughs> Tony just stood up and said, Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me? As we proclaim the kingdom to our region. As we proclaim the kingdom to our nation. As we proclaim the kingdom to the world. Will you stand with me? So my invitation to you now. As Tony once did so powerfully for me all those years ago. Will you stand? Will you stand with me? As we know that the current way in which the world is taking over its people to consume them. As we see people bend the pressures of this world, as we see people consumed by lies about themselves, the lies about the way that they should behave and act and to people, as we see people that are trapped in bondage, will we come and will we stand next to these people? Will we help them? Will we love them? Will we show them the love of Jesus Christ? Will we be those people who will repent? 
closer to this vision. That we can lean back into a worship of God and all his ways. In his proper way. In his proper way. Father, we stand here before you. Chosen by you. Saved by you. Restored by you. And we declare this day that we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And we come onto this altar and we offer our hands, we offer our feet, we offer our minds, we offer our tongues. And we say we will go where we need to go. We will do what we need to do. We will think what we need to think. And we will speak what we need to speak. Lord, that we could be carriers of your presence. But into every room that we go, into every house, on every street, in every conversation, people will know that God is here. So, Father, we come. We offer ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray.